0: Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. And She Could Be Next, a two-part documentary from Grace Lee and Merjan Safinia, tells the story of women of color who are working to transform politics from the ground up. It follows candidates and organizers across the country asking whether democracy can be preserved, perhaps even made stronger by those most marginalized. The, The series, which was executive produced by Ava DuVernay, Features history makers, including Rashida Tlaib and Stacey Abrams. Uh, it uh, the, the first episode is called "Building the Movement," and the second, "Claiming Power." It is streaming free until the end of the month at PBS.org/Pov. Also available on Amazon Prime. And I'm very pleased to welcome Grace Lee and Marijan Safinia to our show now. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, I, now, I'm going to have to ask you each individually using your name because uh, otherwise it can get very confusing. <laughs> but if uh, one of you wants to add to what the other one said, please feel free to do that, okay? And now, Great. I'll begin with you, Grace. Right. Didn't you face some pushback at first when you proposed a series to networks and investors? What were their objections?
1: Um, I mean, I don't know if it's it's just sort of a general um You know, we started making this film uh, back in 2017. I mean, the idea actually stemmed out of 2016. Um, But when we were, you know, right now, everybody is talking about women of color. We already passed the 2018 elections where we had such a historic array of women of color joining Congress and running for office. But back then, you know, we got a lot of pushback from people who were just wondering, well, why women of color? Why talk about race in addition to gender? Isn't this a question about all women? Um, and, you know, for us, we are also women of color. You know, the work that we, we've made has always been sort of rooted in these communities. And so, you know, it was important for us to kind of, you know, sort of unequivocally make an American political story that does center race and gender, because as we see today, you know, you can't talk about politics without talking about both.
0: Do you think that one of uh, that, that Joe Biden's choice of Kamala Harris as his running mate is a sign that we have... Finally turned a corner uh, after uh, Stacey Abrams, uh, one of the women featured in, in your films, was also on on Joe Biden's list. Uh, I can um, that one.
2: Yeah, this is, go, go this ahead. is Yeah, this is March. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, turn the right. corner implies something is done. And um, I don't I think there's still, you know, a long, long way to go. Obviously, we're thrilled uh, with the pick of Kamala as a VP candidate. Um, you know, Kamala is a, um, a black woman, but she holds multiple identities. And I think that our story is told in the context of really this changing face of America, right? This new American majority, which is super diverse, uh, includes, you know, um, people from all kinds of immigrant backgrounds, um, all kinds of um, people who sort of are considered outsiders, you know, are are forming the new American majority, and Kamala holds many of those identities kind of in her one being, Um, so we're really thrilled about that, but there was a phenomenal list of women to choose from, and I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, if we have turned a corner, it's maybe in an understanding that women of color are no less qualified or capable or brilliant than any other people. Right. And that we, you know, to to sort of see them as in any way uh, lesser than choice, you know, is a mistake that history will show um, one was on the wrong side of.
0: Obviously you were selecting your candidates uh, before the country even knew the squad. Uh, I'm assuming that's one of the reasons Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not one of the people in the film. Either of you can handle that. Grace? Uh,
1: I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I, it, it was a long process figuring out who to, you know, researching the candidates. You know, there's not just some list that comes out saying, here's who's running for office. A lot of people, when we first started the process, didn't even know that they were running yet. For example, Rashida Tlaib. Um, I happened to have met her many years ago while I was making another project, so sort of had my eye on her. Um, I think I did know, we did know that someone else, Rachel Lears, was already filming Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So, you know, but it didn't matter. There's so many women, you know, that we've never heard of. Sure. <clears throat> who had, who we had never heard of before. They were household names, including Veronica Escobar, who's you know in our film also in Congress, including um, you know many of the folks that uh, are in, and she could be next. So yeah, I mean it. It we we have even Kamala Harris you know, has a brief uh, appearance in our series, which you know it's it's an interesting <clears throat> um, it's interesting to look back and see you know where these women are now as opposed to two years ago.
0: And it shows well because most of them won the elections that uh, they were preparing for during the time of the filming. Is, yeah, we, is did a, we, de- we Go ahead. I
2: was, was going to say most of them won, and then in the case of uh, Stacey Abrams, obviously, there's a lot mm-hmm. of questions about what happened in the election in Georgia and what it, what a hand we'll get sort of profession paid. Yeah. So. Right. So you know, and um, I think though, Leonard, the the sort of the takeaway that we hope that people get is that um i mean Stacey Abrams is an excellent example you know her star did not fall because she did not win that election right and right. and in fact if you watch um both episodes we have another our youngest candidate who who didn't win the first time but then she got back up and ran again we just had Cory Bush win her election a couple of weeks ago she also lost in 2016 but ran again and so you know, the, the march of the movement, the drive to create more, a more reflective democracy, um, you know, it's a, it's a long journey. And, you know, the, the winning or the losing is sort of um, secondary to the momentum of, of the movement. Um, and people, you know, hopefully get up and dust themselves off and, and get back in the race only this time equipped with so much more knowledge about, about the challenges they're going to face and better equipped to face
0: them especially if they're 19 years old, as the one who lost her race <laughs> was at the time. Uh, the The New York Times published a study recently that reveals 65% of suburban women support Black Lives Matter, which suggests a major change in recent years. Is the Democratic Party doing everything that it can to help African-American women get elected on uh, on both the national and local levels? Grace? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I think we can all agree that the Democratic Party needs to do more. Um, I mean, the Democratic Party is more reflective uh, than, you know, the other party in terms of looking at America, but there's still so much work that has to be done. Um, yeah, I mean,
2: we well, all have that... to
1: do. Go ahead. I was going to add
2: on, if I may, Leonard. Uh, I mean, I think the... You know, women of color, as you see, sort of we have a very, you know, short opening to the series, which kind of gives a super compressed, you know, historical kind of perspective of the the fight for equality that has been led by women of color for decades. And I think that women of color are consistently, you know, undervalued and uncredited for their labor, you know, in this work, Um, yet they show up um, persistently to, to, you know, make sure that folks are involved in the 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 electoral process um and and so you know as grace said there's always you know more work to be done and also i think it's very important that we understand that uh it's not adequate to just go to women of color when you need to win, win an election because they happen to be good at you know doing that organizing work and turning folks out right that is a kind of um it's like a transactional nature of a relationship. We need, you know, we're interested in you when it's time for you to show, show your folks up so that we can win elections. And I think that a true transformation would be like a real deep, a deep-rooted commitment, um, looking down the ballot, looking at uh, nurturing and supporting new voices and new talent. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that's the real transformation, you know, um, that would show a real commitment to this, to this idea of the importance of the leadership of women of color, as opposed to kind of, uh, when we need you to show up, you know, we hope you will.
0: Have a I that's one of the reasons. Go
1: ahead. Oh, sorry, can I just add, um, Leonard, Please. Grace again. Um, one of the reasons the film is not just about candidates and it's not an election or campaign film, it's really about a movement. And most of the film looks at these organizers, these women of color, black women, Asian-Americans, you know, Muslim Americans, Latinas who are in the trenches doing the work. It's a whole ecosystem that, you know, oftentimes parties don't really aren't really hip to that. And I think, you know, what was so fascinating and so encouraging was to see that these women are um, in their communities recognizing the problems and the issues that, you know, face their people, you know, and everybody and they're they're in the, they're in the mix trying to get things done and i think that's one of the main things we hope people take away that you know there's an organizer in all of us and these organizers are making it making the path for candidates and people like Kamala Harris to you know be where she is today. So.
0: But they do face some problems, gerrymandering and other forms of voter suppression. Have had an impact sure. on women of color who want to run for office. Uh, Stacy Abrams says in your film that voter suppression is successful because it convinces the disenfranchised that it's permanent and that there's no remedy. What's being done to con- so? What is being done to convince people uh, that they really do have the right to vote and that they need to fight for it? Uh, Marjan? this
2: is Bart. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um... You know, I think okay. that one of the 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 nuances, perhaps, when we talk about voter suppression is that it's a spectrum, right? so if if a, a um, an environment isn't created in which it is made difficult for you to vote, or you are somehow intimidated by voting, that voting is not something that is made, as accessible and easy for everyone to kind of exercise all the eligible people to exercise their, you know, their their constitutionally protected right to vote in the democracy, that that, in fact, is voter suppression. So I think that often we reduce the idea of voter suppression to kind of the end point, right? Was this person in the end able to make a vote? And, in fact, what you see in our film is that many, many people did make a vote that arguably wasn't counted, Mm -hmm. Um, But before that, there's all these other stages at which the tactics of suppression are at play. And, you know, the truth is that the, the electoral process is quite confusing right? I'm, I'm a very recent American. I became, I've lived here for 20 years, but I became an American in 2016 so that I could vote. Um, you know, and I think I'm fairly smart and I'm fairly politically astute. And, you know, I also live in the state of California where, where the voter infrastructure is pretty solid. Um, and still, you know, ballot measures are written in really confusing ways. The forms can be confusing. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole series of things that make it more complicated. And then when you look at a state like, Georgia, where, for example, it's a single language voting state, everything, all the electoral literature is in English, right, the official stuff. So if if English is your second language, right, or not your strongest language, then to try to decode a ballot measure, which is already written in very complex, you know, obfuscating language in a language that you're not super comfortable with, right, these are all the kind of the tools of, of suppression in the sense that they send a message to certain groups of people that this isn't really for you, you know? And I think that that that, that is the thing that creates this kind of persistent disengagement, this persistent feeling of, um, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really feel like it's for me. I tried that one time and and it went wrong and then I got some weird letter that I didn't understand, right? It's a series of you know, at the registration point, at the election point, at the sort of if you have to vote provisional and the follow-up point to be able to cure that ballot. There's a whole network of small, um, you know, rules that are in place that vary state to state. In some type, cases, they vary county to county um, that just make it very, very confusing, and and they're designed to favor you know, a certain kind of person in in Georgia in 2018, but it was even worse in 2020, right? You literally would see six-hour lines at polling stations in, you know, communities which are predominantly black or brown, and then you might drive 15 minutes over to a sort of more suburban white neighborhood, and folks were getting in and out to vote in five minutes, no problem. What is that? (laughs) Right? So I think that that it's that general kind of you know um both in in terms of its a specific series of actions and the in the in the aggregate they create a general sense of that's really hard to do that's really confusing to me and i don't feel like that that i belong in that system
0: you're listening to Leonard Lopate at large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM streaming at wbai.org my guests are the uh, two filmmakers behind a uh, two-part documentary called And She Could Be Next. Uh, let's talk a bit about how some of these women got into the uh, the political process. Uh, Congresswoman Lucy McBath uh, says uh, that uh, she calls herself an accidental activist. Uh, is that typical? Oh, Marjan? Yeah. Mar- Grace, I don't care. Okay, Grace. <laughs>
1: well, sure. I'll I'll say something. You know, Veronica Escobar, Congresswoman, now Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, um, she says in the film, you know, often uh, men. What is it? <laughs> men get into politics because they, as a career, as a as career, a, uh, and women as a career, women get into politics because they have a mission. Um, uh-huh. I don't. I'm not saying that all of the women are you know motivated by missions, but many of the women in our series are. They are not you know these aren't women. All of the women in our series were already you know active in their communities and running for office just became you know the next iteration of what they were already doing. In the case of Lucy Macbeth, you know she was not a politician. She was um, you know a, a flight attendant for, for Delta Airlines when her son Jordan was shot and killed in this infamous Loud Music campaign, uh, Loud Music case where. Um, You know, he was at a gas station with some friends playing music and a white guy who was upset with them ended up shooting him and killing him. And she turned into an activist, you know, against gun violence. And that's sort of what led her into these spaces where she was advocating for, you know, common sense gun laws. And and that's what motivated her to, you know, run for office first locally. But then, you know, after Parkland happened, she decided to run for Congress. And, you know, her her story is really incredible because she does come from this um, very personal motivation uh, that also, you know, sort of, you know, she's basically living her values and doing everything, you know, she can to make sure that there are no more Jordans, you know, that what happened to her son won't happen to other other families. um,
0: But she did have an activist role model. Her father was a leader in the Uh, Illinois NAACP. Now that was her she father. Needed... yeah go ahead finish
1: Oh yeah her father having that background he was you know involved in the civil rights movement in in Illinois um, but you know she herself she said that she sort of rediscovered those roots you know as she was getting more involved when she was <clears throat> taking on the gun lobby and and things like that
0: Now she and Stacey Abrams have been attacked in the press but Her communications director assures her it's a good sign why is it a positive sign to be attacked in the press and are women candidates more likely to be attacked viciously than male candidates Uh, should uh, kamala harris be really concerned Uh, we're already seeing uh, her being called a socialist and all sorts of other things by uh, people on fox
2: yeah, it's fair game, right? Women are always fair game. And then when you add on the layer of race, it's even more so, right? And, you know, we don't, I mean, really anyone who's paying any kind of attention whatsoever can see the kinds of criticisms and also petty criticisms. I think that any of these women are happy to be challenged about their ideas, right, or about their policy positions or any of those kind of things, um, because then, they're, you know, you're challenging them based on their kind of, their professional, you know, position. But when you're attacked because of how you look or, you know, I mean, you know, Hillary is the classic example, right? I mean, how much, how much conversation, how many column inches have been dedicated to Hillary and her pantsuits? Is that really the relevant point when you're you're talking, you know, about a politician? So... Obviously, women are are, are more, easily, they're more easily targeted and attacked by the press. But when, when, um, when Jake Orvis in the series tells Lucy, you know, this is a good thing. I mean, Lucy came into that race, as Grace just mentioned. She, that race had been going. The congressional seat had been going. That race had been going for a while. It's a, it's a sort of a, a really important congressional seat. It was the congressional seat that Newt Gingrich held. It had been a Republican seat for 40 years. And in 2016, right after uh, the presidential election, election, um, it was the site of the most expensive congressional race in history, right, where John Ossoff um, ran against Karen Handel um, to occupy the seat that had been occupied by Tom Price, who was then picked for the cabinet, and um, and so in comes this this woman. The other candidates were all white men. Uh, in comes this woman, late to the game. She's not really a politician. She doesn't really have political experience, um, you know. And she was super discounted. So so yeah, if they're if they're starting to kind of attack you, it means you're a threat, and it means that you're 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 counting enough for them to start worrying and spinning. You know, about you. And and one, one thing that was really interesting, actually, in that race, which we didn't get into the weeds of covering in the film, but one of the uh, superpowers that Lucy has, and a lot of these women have, is the ability to connect with voters on a very human level, right? They feel I think I think their power is not just in their identity as in it matter you know, the, the color of their skin, but rather in their lived experiences and the experiences that they have firsthand lived in their families and in their communities that are shared by so many Americans who feel disengaged from the process. And you know, Lucy has this extra superpower of kind of connecting with people's hearts and minds. And what was interesting was after she won the runoff and then she was now running against the Republican candidate Karen Handel. Karen Handel's entire messaging started to shift because Karen Handel's messaging had been very kind of strong, fierce, dominant woman. And then because, you know, because the opponent was sort of someone who came with much more kind of compassion and humanity, you start to see Karen Handel's actual ads and messaging shift to kind of show this kind of softer, more human kind of side. Mm So, you know, politics is a really, there's just so much that goes into the micro-tuning, right, as they're trying to kind of um, connect with voters. And I do think that the power that, that these women have is that that they, in their identities, they carry so many points of connection for people to look at them. When I look at Rashida Tlaib, you know, I'm not Palestinian, I don't live in Detroit, but, you know, I, I understand the immigrant story. That's my story too, right? So, so I feel seen by, by Rashida or even by young Bushra. I feel seen and, you know, like my story matters in a profound way. And I think that's, that's the real magic that, that all of these women have.
0: Although uh, we are seeing uh, some change, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez received a lot of support for her (coughs) response, excuse me, to Representative Ted Yoho's attack. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I have no sense of how that played among Yoho's constituents. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, another of the candidates your films follow is a former trade union official, now a California state senator, Maria Elena Durazo she says demographics don't dictate anything because the country is 51 percent women but government is not
2: yeah that's right i mean that 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 mean what she says is demographics is not destiny right and i think that was really the fight right the fight is that it's not a foregone conclusion that systems and structures of power are endowed in maintaining themselves well, right. that women will vote
0: for a woman ne- necessarily.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like, right. Women won't That's necessarily, or black people won't necessarily vote for a black person. And the, 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 I think the point Maria Elena is making is that we must organize. We must reach out actively to those who are disengaged from the system for a variety of reasons, including the party doesn't see that as a valuable outreach, you know, in a cost-benefit analysis. they are low-propensity voters. They may not be, you know, um, that important. to to their kind of calculus, you know, their algorithm for how to win. Um, And so demographics doesn't make anything a foregone conclusion, Um, but it means that if you do manage to activate and connect with that community, then you have the great potential turnout of a whole set of new voters, voters who don't traditionally vote, who who see themselves as now belonging in the system.
0: And, uh, Grace, that brings us to somebody who... Is not one of the candidates you covered, but uh, is an important figure in Georgia. Am I pronouncing her name right? Inse Ufo, the executive director of the N. New Cey Georgia Ufot. Project. Yes. Yeah. Ufat. Right.
1: And Ufat. Ufat, yes.
0: She is the executive director of the New Georgia Project, <laughs> um, which uh, is uh, go, tries to get people to register to vote. Uh, is that their basic strategy?
1: Uh, I mean, the New Georgia Project exists basically to uh, engage many of these folks we've been talking about, people who haven't been, you know, there are people who are, you know, living in Georgia. Um, Georgia, as she often likes to say, is um, going to be the first state in the Deep South to turn majority-minority within six years, right? Um, the, the demographics of Georgia, just like the demographics of this country, are changing rapidly, where Black people... Latinos, Asian Americans are going to be the majority very soon, um, and it's it's up to the New Georgia Project. New Georgia Project was actually started by Stacy Abrams um, in 2014, mm-hmm. um, and the goal is to register. Uh, I think it's one million mm-hmm. voters. March right by yes
0: by and and, the, and right they're time? focusing on uniting yeah. African Americans, L- L- Latinos, Black and, and Asian Americans. Exactly. Yes, right. Had anybody yes. ever tried to uh-huh. do that before? As in,
1: by they. I don't know who you're talking about, but um, no, I think this is a concerted effort to, you know, so many people don't vote because, as Nars has mentioned before, you know, they haven't seen a reason for them to vote. You know, the government, you know, doesn't reflect them. Issues don't reflect their issues. Uh, They, you know, part of the part of the game here is to allow people to see, you know. Give them a reason to vote. Give them a reason to care. Give them a reason to get engaged and involved. Um, and the the goal of the New Georgia Project is to make sure that you know the policies reflect the people who live in the state.
0: Um, and then you
1: know, she's she's one of our main, you know, main one of the main people we follow in the series. And we get to see, you know, what it takes to be uh, an organizer on the ground to make this happen. You see people you know, meeting volunteers at the doors and, and expressing yeah. skepticism about politicians. I mean, it's, it's not just about getting people to sign up to go vote. There's a whole litany of things you have to do in order to actually convince people to even care. Right. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to show that part as well, because nobody ever sees this kind of invisible work that is done mostly by people of color, especially women of color, especially black women in Georgia.
0: But also uh which is uh, going trying mm-hmm. to register uh, pe- people from uh, various Spanish, Hispanic countries. But what are Grace? What are the cha- some of the challenges that Asian Americans face? I understand name spelling um, can be yeah. a big issue.
1: Right in Georgia, they have what we call the exact match laws, where you know this isn't one of the um, other things that Marge spoke about in terms of voter suppression. Uh, names when you're registering to, you know, when you're doing voter registration, the names can only be arranged in a certain way. If you come from a culture where, for example, we show in the film, there's an elderly woman who's Vietnamese and she has four syllables in her name, that gets messed up in the form, which then mm-hmm. results in her, you know, voter registration being messed up. It results in difficulties when she goes to vote. I think we follow this woman and, and, you know, we have a young Vietnamese-American volunteer helping her. And it turns out she does get to vote eventually, but she has to go to like the, you know, to the board of elections. And she also has to, um, she finds out that she's been registered as a man. <laughs> There's all kinds of yeah. mistakes that happen. that you know, that, um, you know, uh, disproportionately punish immigrants, people with, you know, different sounding names. Um, and, yeah. This is, this is one of the issues that, that comes up again and again.
0: Uh, Merjan, uh, Rashida Tlaib, one of the best-known uh, candidates that your films follow, says that for a long time, oops, for a long time, Arab-Americans, <laughs> <laughs> we're jumping the gun, we're going to play a little bit of music in a bit. Uh, <laughs> for a long time, Arab-Americans had to suppress their own ethnicity to prove themselves as Americans. Has that changed? In the film, she calls herself, a mama for justice uh, obviously uh trying to, try to uh, ignore the uh well, the fact that her name reveals that she's very much an arab american
2: yeah i mean i think that actually what she's saying in in that scene is that there is a shift right which is um you know uh, Well, let me let me talk. Let me talk about me, because it it is the same story. Right. When when you uh, come to a country with a foreign sounding name, you know, your parents came before you, um, you know, in a time gone by before this kind of rapid demographic shift, you were like the one you were like the one kid with the funny name in the school that nobody could say. Right. And so did you have another
0: disadvantage in the fact that you were from Iran?
2: Well, let's just say, Leonard, Iran is not up <laughs> on the list of people's favorite yes. countries.
0: So that's um, what my point. Yeah,
2: I mean, but I don't think Palestine is any different in that way, right, which is where Rashida hails from. Um, although Rashida was born in the Her country. Yes. Was, you know, I, I immigrated here, but Rashida was born here. But um, um, either way, my point is that... Um, you know, with the, with the tipping point moment of demographics. And it actually also relates to what you were just asking, Grace. I think there is an awareness, a growing awareness, that there are many of us who share a lot of experiences that we have in common. And while, you know, my experience as an Iranian is different than a Palestinian, is different, you know, than someone from Southeast Asia, is different from, you know, and, and, and all of these are different from the black experience in America, Nonetheless, there, is a, there are a lot of points where we, we do sort of share commonalities, and it's in this kind of linking of arms, if you like, a sort of metaphoric linking of arms, um, that we actually, that we can really shift the power dynamics and the numbers um, in a way that really buys kind of, um, you know, real power for for this new American majority. So, yeah, I think that folks like Rashida or folks like me or folks like, you know, many, many of us, we We learn to assimilate, we learn to fit in, we learn to kind of, you know, I call, I mean, you've been making valiant efforts to say my name, Leonard, but, you know, 90% of the people in my life call me Marge, because it's easier than actually saying my actual name, right? And so, um, I think the point is... it is easy. It's marriage on. Yeah.
1: And no you feel so. free to
2: call me, whichever you're comfortable with. But, but the no idea so. is that, that having a lifetime of learning to suppress the traits that are sort of um, core to your identity so that you fit in is now being flipped to be understood as actually it is my strength. These multiple identities, these, these um, access and kind of uh, ownership and belonging in, in these uh, you know, various communities that are not white dominant majority is actually my superpower. And I think that is the transformative shift. So you see it in Ilhan Omar, you see it in, you know, AOC, you see it in, in all of these uh, women is like a, a, a real calling out of, um, of the life that they come from, because they know that now there are so many other Americans who share that experience.
0: It is interesting, Leonard, that... I would just
1: add. I would just add. You know, this is great speaking. You know, yeah. with Rashida, I mean, she is arguably the reason this series exists. I mean, I met her several years ago and was really inspired for the first time by a politician who I felt, I felt, could represent someone like me. You know, I, I identified her, with her as the daughter of immigrants. I'm the daughter of immigrants. I identified with her because she's a Midwesterner. I'm from the Midwest as well. Also, you know, she's a mom of young children and. None of these things have anything to do with her being Palestinian, right? I mean, it''s, it's there there are multiple identities that we all that we all hold that you know speak to us, that have never spoken to me before in terms of looking at politics, American politics.
0: It is interesting that her campaign manager uh, is Scott Tachman. Uh She calls him a white Jewish man, and he's the one who convinced her to run for office
1: well just to he was actually a campaign advisor yeah. Steve Tabachman was a state representative Tabachman. in Michigan and he was and you know he recruited Rashida to be one of her staffers and while she was one of her staffers he you know he suggested that she run and take his spot you know eventually and so she she served two terms in the Michigan legislature before she ran for Congress um, and you know I think a lot of people don't know this story about um, How Rashida came to be, but you know, there's there's a whole ecosystem of people who are mentoring and supporting women, and you know, people who aren't necessarily going into politics because you know somebody's got to help build that pipeline, and people have to, you know, sort of build the way. And I think you know, Rashida has done that in spades in terms of her own career. She is always lifting up other women, especially women of color you know, immigrant. Although, you know, to although run for she, barely, well. she
0: barely won the last election, just 900 votes against an African-American woman named Brenda Jones, who says that when Rashida spends time criticizing the president, she limits the kinds of compromises necessary to get things done for her constituents. Yet Rashida just won uh, by a much wa- uh, wider margin. Yes. List. Right. Well, I, I have to take a little break. Uh, this is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, also streaming at WBAI.org. Put
2: on your face, know your
1: place, shut up and smile, don't spread your age
2: I could do that.
0: But no one. Knows now, me, no one before we get back to my conversation with Grace Lee and Marjan the uh I need to talk to you about something very important. Like most public radio stations across the country, WBAI has been hit hard financially by the pandemic, and a, a lot of our longtime supporters have had to drop their support for the station, which is why we're asking anyone who, who's able to, in this time of crisis, to step up and make a contribution of any amount to help keep community radio and Leonard located at large on the air and coming to you weekdays from one to 2 p.m. And the way to do that is to call 516-620-3602 right now or go to our website, give to wbaiorg That's give and then the number two, wbai.org or 516-620-3602. Uh, becoming a sustaining member of the station, what we call a BAI buddy, is is, an, is a great way to support the station without having to shell out a lot of money at any one time. But however you contribute, the important thing is that you step up and support this show and this legendary radio station. The last station in New York City's, on New York City's FM dial, that's completely listener sponsored without any corporate under, underwriting or funding grants of any kind. So, But please make sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopit at large. And a big, big thanks to everyone who's done uh, their part to support WBAI during this difficult time. Listeners like Benjamin Jones of Jersey City, New Jersey, Ben, thank you so much. You really were very generous. We couldn't do this without listeners like you. So let's get back to my guests, Grace Lee, a Peabody Award-winning filmmaker uh, Marjan Safinia, uh, who's also, well, made separate films. And now uh, you're working together. Uh, Marjan, you've also uh, worked uh, for Google founder Sergey Brin and the Obama administration and also for Hillary Clinton. Well,
2: I wouldn't have worked for them, Leonard, but I've made films uh, <laughs> for, uh, for oh, their that's what authors, I meant. you know.
0: It's That's a hustle. I mean.
2: Being a filmmaker is a permanent hustle. So you 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 uh, pick up work wherever you can. I made a film for um, for Sergey Brin, who was one of the first inv- investors or the major investor in lab-grown beef of all things. So let's just say I have a a wide range of skill sets when it comes to storytelling.
0: I, I want to get to <laughs> the story of Stacey Abrams and the, the reason she lost her election for governor. But let's talk about uh, two of the other women in the film, Bushra uh, Amawala, who ran for the Cook County Commissioner. Uh, if she had won, she would have been the first Muslim woman to hold office in the United States, but she was just 19 at the time. I'm sure that was a handicap. <laughs> what, what uh, Mar- Marjan, what led her to even run for, choose to run for that office?
2: Yeah, I mean Bushra Amiwala is like here's here's a hot tip. Keep your eyes on Bushra Amiwala. She may be running for president one day in the future. She's 22 now, so she's uh, getting there. It'll take her a while to uh, to get to the age qualifications. Um I think what motivated her. So Bushra is a young, um, a Pakistani American um, Muslim uh um, you know uh, at the time we met her student full time student at depaul University, she just graduated uh, a few like a month ago um, you know I think that um, a, a number of things motivated her one was um, you know we have a we have an Islamophobia problem in this country, and um you know as a woman who uh, identifies as Muslim, who wears a hijab. You know, I think that, you know, she. it was important to her to have visibility, right, for, for women who look like her and come from similar backgrounds. Um, I think that she was also sort of honestly somewhat motivated by the idea that, you know, in 2016 we elected a president who really didn't have um, prior political experience, and she mm-hmm. thought, well, if he can do it, why can't I? <laughs> you know? Um, and so she decided to run for the the county commission cook county um and she took on an incumbent who was a he was a five term incumbent, so that uh, gentleman, Larry Sufffordton, had taken his seat in the first time when she was five years old um and at nineteen she decided to to run against him um and you know she she mounted a really viable campaign it's such an interesting um story to look at because i think we have this notion that politics requires this kind of you know big machinery behind you and you know that is true if you're running for really big seats but local elections are so important right and you know anywhere that you live 80 90 percent of the decisions that actually affect your day-to-day life are made at the local level and and sort of um generally we're not so tuned into to local politics, Um, and so she mounted a campaign, you know, she basically run by other students, Um, you know, her sort of strategic level partners (laughs) were also college Mm -hmm. students, and her kind of foot soldiers were high school, you know, teenagers basically, right? Um, And she did a a remarkable job in engaging, you know, in engaging her community, and, you know, when we talk about disengaged voters um, in Skokie, Illinois, where she lives, you know, when she went out, you know, you have to get a certain number of um signatures to just get yourself on the ballot. And when she went out to get those signatures, she realized how many people in her community weren't even registered to vote. People who had lived here for generations, you know, decades and decades. And literally never registered to vote because of this feeling that the system isn't for us, right? Um and so her so she sort of had to backtrack and her first thing was to just get folks registered, you know, and even though she doesn't win her her the election that we cover that she ran in um... twenty eighteen uh... first of all we see it as a win nonetheless, because she brought so many voters into a system and sort of awakened them to the importance of of being, of using your vote as your voice. Um, And then in 2019, she decided to run again, and uh, she did win uh, that election uh, for the school board. And she's now the youngest elected Muslim official in the country, you know, and, and she's dynamite. And so you know, I think um I think that when we think about politics, when we think about the root the etymology of the word politics, right? The word people is is, is the first part of that word. And it really should be a system for the people by the people. That's the the sort of central idea and, and when we all get engaged and not everyone's gonna have the you know, the chutzpah to go run for office, but we all should be absolutely deeply engaged in this process, um, so that it can be reflective of us and so that it can um, so that policy can meet the needs of the people that it's designed to serve you know we talk about was, i've been thinking about the i was just gonna say i've been thinking about the census you know i think the, the latest number is something like only forty percent of americans have taken the census you know it's such a it's literally a three minute it takes three minutes to do right and it it determines how the funding flows how the lines are drawn you know for a decade to come and the fact that so few people are engaged in that really says something about the health of, of uh, our connection to our democracy.
0: I want to get onto Veronica Escobar, but I was uh, interested in the fact that a Trump voter was prompted to, to vote for, uh, for Bushra because she gave back a $50,000 contribution from the soft drink industry. That's right. Now, what motivated now U.S. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar to run for office? Uh, she She's very much involved in the whole matter of the border wall, isn't she?
1: Yeah, great. Uh, you know, Grace, she's a, Grace. She's been a border, um, you know, she's been kind of, she says in the film she's been obsessed by the border. She's a third generation El Pasoan, which is right there at the border. Um, you know, and oftentimes the border gets, you know, for for someone like Veronica Escobar, of Mexican-American, you know, these twin cities of Juarez, Mexico, and El Paso, have always kind of coexisted peacefully, and, you know, there's always been a back and forth. And, you know, for many years she's been writing about and talking about, you know, advocating for, you know, better relations, and, and, um, you know, she, you know, takes issue with how it's been maligned and, you know, people have been targeted especially, you know, Mexican-Americans or Latinos that have been targeted by this administration. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons she ran, but not the only reason. I think she's also been someone, she was a county judge um, in in El Paso for uh, maybe one or two terms, I'm not sure exactly. Um, you know, but it was also an opportunity when Beto O'Rourke was running for Senate, you know, she, she took his seat. I mean, he, they, they're good friends, I believe, and you know, as somebody who's been active in El Paso politics, she saw this opportunity to move up.
0: Okay, let's now go on to uh, Georgia, because that's okay. such an incredible story. And Brian Kemp, the, the, uh, the governor of Georgia now, um, is still an incredibly controversial character. Stacey Abrams uh, w- really was... Uh, uh, standing out even as a as a kid she was the uh, her high school valedictorian which entitled her to meet the governor at the time and uh, that was a, a mixed experience for her wasn't it
2: yeah she tells a story about um, you know so sort of in the state of georgia or at that time, I'm not sure if this is still the case, uh, you know, the valedictorians from all the high schools across all the mm-hmm. counties were invited to the governor's mansion. And as uh, a young Stacey Abrams, you know, uh, all sort of uh, ready for the big day with her parents, uh, they travel to the governor's mansion by bus using public transport. And as they arrive at the gate, the guard at the gate, who has seen them using public transport to get there, sort of uh, stops them at the gate and says, you know, you, you can't come in. This is a private event. And, um, and although they say, well, this is Stacey. She's, you know, invited here. She's one of the valedictorians. There's, um, the guard doesn't believe that, that, you know, a family that looks like hers that got off a bus, you know, would be, uh, you know, seen as possibly in that set of valedictorians who were, who were invited. So, so it, it becomes a sort of a foundational Experience for her, also a great story. When you're running for governor, I should add, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, about um, being turned away at the gates and told you don't belong here. And um, you know, so I mean, Stacey obviously is, is a force of nature. But um, uh, you know, Brian Kemp, who was she was running against, you know, was the Secretary of State, the the literally the chief elections officer of the state, under who the entire apparatus of the elections was under his control in the race that he was running in, you know, which seems, I mean, I think you could present that to a five-year-old and say, does that sound fair? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the five-year-old would give you a pretty clear read on why that is a problematic sort of paradigm.
0: And he was, as you say, Georgia's secretary of state as the new Georgia project was registering voters. How did he respond Mm -hmm. to that voter registration drive?
2: Uh yeah I mean yeah. they have a number of lawsuits legacy lawsuits that you know started you know back back when he was so this would be like in 2016 I believe the lawsuits um you know when listen it's a real threat when you uh, in a state like Georgia where there is this sort of rapidly changing demographic and um suddenly you see real you know, focused, powered efforts to engage all these black and brown voters, that is a threat. And so, you know, when you hold the the systems of power, you use those levers to sort of protect your power. And so there was a lot of back and forth with the New Georgia Project that they had been illegitimately registering voters, you know, tying up basically a small um, nonprofit profit organization in, in the pain and the costs of legal battles, which he didn't win um but nonetheless it slows down the work of an organization to have to be dealing with you know uh, a lawsuit with the secretary of state's office right so and one and a quarter
0: million people were removed from the voter rolls
2: yeah exactly and 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 then just right in the run-up to the actual election in twenty eighteen you know many more people purged and exact match which grace was talking about so i mean in that last few weeks prior to the georgia election it was like a non-stop onslaught of lawsuits to try to block these actions that the Secretary of State's office was taking, um, which essentially were favoring him in the election by diminishing the right to vote of people of color right and uh, you know who 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 had the opportunity to vote, not just for this extraordinary black woman, Stacey Abrams, but a historic election right She would have been the first black woman governor in america 's history. You know, so that felt, you know, um, I mean, as an outside observer coming in to see that, to see how that machinery was, you know, used to advantage or disadvantage, you know, to advantage him by disadvantaging other voters of color was, you know, really sort of shocking.
0: Not just massive purges. So go ahead, Grace.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we filmed in 2018, you know, the elections, the midterm elections of 2018, but you see now the after effects of what that means, especially when you just look at what happened in Georgia in this current primary season, now with a pandemic, now with, you know, a governor who um, reopens the state in the midst of the pandemic, <laughs> you know, vote by mail. I mean, it's just chaos. And, uh, you know, I think 2018, if you thought it was bad in 2018,
0: 2020, you know, it's like the It'll sequel. Were Were we warned? The, the film includes some of Brian Kemp's campaign commercials, which struck me as pretty uh-huh. offensive, like when he drives a big truck to round up illegal aliens, and he boasts about being politically incorrect. And yet that obviously motivated some people to support him, or maybe just because of voter suppression, uh, the uh, the people who were equally horrified didn't have a chance. Some of the obstacles that are discussed in the film include ID laws, proof of citizenship, poll, poll closures, uh, use it or lose it. Uh, so if someone loses the right to vote due to one of those tactics, uh, can they re-register easily?
2: Uh, they can re-register. I'm not sure how easy it is. You know, I think that, you know, I, I'm not a uh, an expert on... The fine print of Georgia voter suppression laws, um, but the ones who are experts who we who we you know talk to and watch in our film, you know that it it is such a complicated and confusing network. Including uh, there's one woman that we meet, a voter. Her name is Stacy Hopkins, and and she's actually a very super plugged in aware voter. And you know the the piece of paper that comes to her in her mail to tell her that that her vote has been purged is kind of designed to look like junk mail flyer. You know, so I know when I open my mailbox and there's a bunch of that kind of stuff look, that looks like that, and then I just chuck it in the bin. You know, I don't sit and go through every piece of what looks like a junk mail flyer. And so even in that, right, like if, if they're communicating with you to let you know that you're, you have been purged from the rolls, that ought to come in like an official looking envelope, <laughs> right, oh. so that you're paying attention. So... Um, yeah, I think that there's, um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, you said, Leonard, that some of his stuff was, uh, his ads were offensive. Obviously, I agree. Um, this has become the... This is the larger political frame in which we find ourselves in this country, right? Um, now we have a very um, powerful model at the highest level of office of, uh, you know, anti-immigrant hate-filled rhetoric um, being a dog whistle for for a whole set of people. And I think that Kemp very much kind of modeled his campaign, you know, um, on some of the tactics that the, the president, you know, um uh, was elected using, you know, now, and I, think I, that's, I well,
0: I'm, I'm pretty much out of time, but I did want to point out that Georgia closed seven of nine polling places in Randolph County in 2018. I'm uh, I'm they, suspecting they that to, any,
2: they, they, they uh, weren't They weren't successful, but that was the attempt was to close seven of nine locations in a rural county, making making it that some people would have to to travel 30 miles to go and vote. Can you imagine? And and I'm I'm
0: assuming that he's afraid of allowing people of color to vote because they're more likely to vote for the Democrat. Uh, We've run out of time. There's so much more to talk about, but people can (laughs) see the film. How can how can they see the film?
2: Um, so we're streaming for free until the end of August. You can access that either through andshecouldbenext.com or through your PBS app on your TV or at pbs.org POV. And then after August 31st, the series, well, it's still, it's currently available, but after August 31st, you can also get it on iTunes and Amazon.
0: Thank you both so much for being on our show.
2: Thank you for having, for us, having Leonard. us, It's a pleasure to speak with you.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to segment producer Susie Stultz, who prepared today's interview. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. And you can also reach me directly at my email address, leonardlocate at wbai.org, if if you want to comment on any one of our shows or just to say hello. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just one last moment to ask you for your support for this station, because if you care about Leonard located at Large and all of the great programs at WBAI, we need your help to keep this station alive. So please step up right now and make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with. If, if you care about keeping community radio alive in the local radio dial, go to that website, give to WBAI.org, or call 516-620-3602 right now to show your support and be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. From all of us at the station, thank you so much. And we hope you'll join us tomorrow when CNN's Jim Shuto will discuss his book, The Madman Theory, Trump Takes on the World. We'll see you then.